Welcome to Brews with Andrews, the Lancelot Andrews podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening as we discuss one of his works as well as what he has to say with the challenges facing our churches today in this world that seems to get darker and darker and more and more insane by the minute. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive in. I'm Father Michael. And I'm Father Alan. And this is Brews with Andrews. Cheers. Well, cheers, my friend. Well, this is the uh, fourth brewski we've had trying to go over this. Our fourth drink to the Lord's Prayer. Who knew you could stretch the Lord's Prayer out as much as Lancelot Andrews did? This is uh, volume five from his works. 19 sermons upon the prayer in general and the Lord's Prayer. So, honestly, what we've seen going through the Lord's Prayer, through the lens of Lancelot Andrews, is there's really no better introduction to the Christian faith than the Lord's Prayer. And as we've looked at each petition and part of the prayer, he's laid out for us just what we are given. After so many decades of the church of handing out gospel tracts, I think I've realized that we really need to hand out nothing more than the Lord's Prayer. Because here's, Land Andrews has shown to us that what Jesus does is not lets us have a seat in heaven somewhere with a harp and a hymnal with our name on it. Right. But... What Jesus opens up to us now is a relationship with our Creator as a good, merciful, and willing Father, as well as a powerful and able King. And that comes up again as he concludes this prayer, just as it did at the beginning. It all back together, and it uh, keeps it, I don't want to say simple, because nothing is ever simple. And it's interesting because we've been listening to Justin Martyr, uh, Irenaeus, uh, Ignatius, and what is so interesting about these early writings is how simple and to the point they are and this is what this bringing into focus it, uh, it's the way you live your life it's uh there's much more to it than just saying a couple of words and an amen at the end of it yeah if we look at each of these things the way it's worded and the way it works through is in the Lord's Prayer, not only do we discover a new type of way of relating to the supreme God creator that all the world religions wish they had a relationship with, but just play pretend, Jesus actually opens up to us, to God as father and king. And then not just that kind of warm and fuzzy relationship, but he also helps us to discover what our lives were always meant to be. To be part of that. So it's learning how to keep God as number one in our lives, how to make sure our lives, that is our careers, our possessions, our families, how they can become a part of God's rule here on earth, then how we can make sure that our wills and our wants are actually in line with what God wills and wants, and then learning how to participate and progress in being made fit for heaven. Because again, past several decades, the church has been trying to get us to go to heaven but has really dropped the ball in helping us become the kind of people that will enjoy heaven when they, we get there. They want us to go to heaven and they haven't given us any luggage yeah. <laughs> to take with us. Um, <laughs> Those uh, clothes get worn out after a while. Well, yeah, you, go, you go to Revelation and, and you find out that your clothes in heaven are your good works. Right. There'll be a lot of naked people in heaven. <laughs> but the prayer continues. It's, it's all of that. It's a relationship with God. It's having discovering what our lives were always meant to be but then also finding the grace and things necessary to actually live that life and to be able to have the abundant life with God and that the prayer shows us how to seek and receive both the things we need for our physical bodies, but then also our spiritual souls. And we need both of those because that is the means by which we're going to return God's love back to him by becoming his sheep and doing his works and preparing his way and walking with him, all those things. And uh, so it's the totality of all of it. And then from there, he shows us how to have barriers in our lives removed. The sin barriers that get in between us and God, but then also those sin barriers that get in between us and our neighbor. Because if you're not getting things right with your neighbor, 
no matter what you're preaching on Sunday, you're not getting right with God. Can't love God without loving neighbor. And so we're, we're finding daily necessities. We're finding forgiveness with God. We're finding grace to forgive our neighbors. And today, as we round this thing out, we turn to learning to live a new kind of life. We always try to get people to accept the everlasting life Christ offers to people, and life is something that's lived. It's not just believed, you actually have to live it. So that takes us into learning how to no longer commit evil. So we pray not to be led into temptation. We know that way. We're looking to be led into a new way. And this might be a little bit contrary to to what the Pope is now preaching, but this is the way that the early church talked about it and, and what Andrews writes. So we have to learn how to not commit evil, and then we also have to learn how to trust God to protect us from evil that would be coming our way. The devil, as well as just loss of jobs, like, you know, real life. And then after that, we learn how to conclude by giving God the glory for it all, and then, of course, we end it with an amen. Which is, it's a real amen. So with that, we dive in to our last handful of sermons. Sermon 10, 11, 12, and lucky 13. Out of the 13-point series on the Lord's Prayer, we look specifically at lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. And finally, amen. So with that, our first sermon, we dive into lead us not into temptation or that we may not commit any evil. Here's the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. Well, sinners are those who do evil. And so most oftentimes that we do evil, personally, it's when we fall prey to temptation. And he really points it out at the very beginning that he, that God will give us the ability to resist the sin to come. And this is, this is the sin to come is really helping us discover who we are with this relationship with God. Are we going to identify now as the Lord's or are we going to still identify as our old way of life? Because we've prayed right before this petition, forgive us our sins. There's no point of having your sins forgiven if you actually have no intention to repent and live differently. He writes that it gives ability to resist sin to come, then to be gracious to us in pardoning our sins already committed. In other words, this is the continuation part of that. Forgive us, and we will strive not to do whatever it is, that evil, (laughs) that temptation in the future. So much is missing and at least the majority of contemporary Christianity, is there's very little. I'll be nice and not say that there's no intention. There's very little intention to become a new creation. We'll do new things. Like, you know, we'll go to new Bible studies or we'll go to new services or we'll do anything kind of on the exterior. But we're really talking about doing something new from the inside. Inside, the heart. You know, you got plenty of people, uh, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I went to a Bible study on 1 Corinthians. Just don't look at my marriage. Right, <laughs> you know, or, uh, treat others at work. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just we're getting beyond the forensics and going right into just the heart of the issue. And he goes in and shows us that there's actually two parts to real repentance, which is sorrow for past sins, but then there's also a care to avoid the sins to come. And so we enter into this relationship now of, all right, our sins have been forgiven. We're beginning to taste the freedom that... Christ is pouring into our lives, and now we're looking to use that freedom in new light. It's not much good to become free from slavery in Egypt just to become a slave in Babylon. We want to be in that sweet spot of Zion. From there, he moves in, and we start having a very honest examination of just what temptation is. And he'll take it that you have the trials that come to us within God's will, and then the trials that Satan throws against us. And I think he does a very good way to split the two. We know that God does not tempt us, I think that's St. James, but he does allow for temptations to come our way because it's going to form us. Just as my grandfather, you know, he could have put a child protective socket cover in his 220-volt shed. Right. Or he, could leave, nice. or he could have left it exposed for his grandson to stick his pocket knife in. Right. He knew 
that I wouldn't do it again. So you got consequences. I had consequences. One thing that just goes so far, and this is from scripture: "Go thy way and sin no more." Okay, I've forgiven your sins. <laughs> now go thy way and don't do it again. <laughs> and this is, yeah, I, I love it when certain parts of evangelicalism, you know, the sinner's prayer. Yeah, they tell you you need oh, to God. you need to pray a sinner's prayer to right. be saved and. Honestly, biblically speaking, the true sinner's prayer is not the one you find on the back of gospel tracts. It's the prayer we've all prayed saying, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. And That's the real us, sinner's prayer. Most of the saints have that story. Tell you a quick story. Yeah. I was in the Army. We used to go deep sea fishing once a year. And the first time we went out, Skipper Wiener, I remember the name of the boat, 50 miles out into the Gulf. And we got out there, and that boat started rocking. It rocked. I got sick and sick. And I just, I remember telling God, if you just get me off this boat, you can have me for, for whatever you want. <laughs> That's the real sinner's prayer. Yeah, right. And so, because we know that there are, there are good trials and temptations that bring us to that point. Mm-hmm. But Andrews is honest. There's also temptations that are there to break us. And he warns us about the temptations that come our way by means of the devil or Satan. See, the trials God brings our way or allows to come our way is there to make us into better men and women of faith. It's to form us. It's to, it's to try, prove, and purge our faith. Satan, on the other hand, has no positive plans for this. His temptations are not for our ultimate good. Most often, it's only just for the immediate apparent good. That's where we, we fall prey to. His goals are to quench our faith and dash our patience. Right, and, <laughs> and you know, God, uh, he wants us to have a rest of, he wants us to have a purpose in our lives to forsake those uh, which are going to lie before us. Uh, and our purpose is to be with him, not with Satan. And we have to, we really have to learn the still, small voice of God for this, to know which is which, just as we have... Trials that God's using to transform our faith into something richer and more valuable. There's the trials that Satan throws our way that's really just there to destroy us. Similar to that's just also just conviction of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to understand that God's Holy Spirit, that same voice, convicts us of sins that we're committing for the purpose of having us confess them and become new. But the devil is just as busy convic- convicting us over sins. Oh, absolutely. That gets us, that'll have us, instead of turning to God, just curving more and more in on ourselves. Turning away from God. Um, so this is the dynamic. And I have to read this part. Okay. Because I've got two stars by. Oh, it has to be good. It must be good. For it is not enough for us to confess our sins and be sorry, nor yet to perform our active mercy by giving and forgiving. Except we have a resolute purpose to forsake the sins. For if being washed from all of our old sins, we shall wallow in the moor like swine and return to our vomit, <laughs> then shall our latter end be worse than the beginning. <laughs> that pretty well states it to, to wallow in that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've prayed to be forgiven. We're receiving grace to live a new life. Do you really want to return? I mean, to to use your analogy, so the Lord got you off the boat. Do you really want to go back to that boat again? Right. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On a good day, we say no. (laughs) And then on a bad day, we think, well, you know, up until it going bad, it was going good. And then then we're stuck. And we're looking. And that's that lure, that inner temptation is the next thing that he brings up. Because here is the world we live in. The world, I think A.W. Tozer is the one that said, the world is not a playground, it's a battleground. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there is a war being fought between the living and true creator of all things and this little peon of a serpent who's trying to destroy that good thing. And we fall prey to him when that inner temptation starts to chip away. We, we've let our guard down, he's got in, and now we have this inner temptation to go that old way. Uh, he'll split inner human temptations and outer worldly temptations, and we have this kind of world in which we have to understand there's parts of us that still really 
if solely out of habit and muscle control, like to do. That's the inner temptations. But then there's also just the outer lures of the world that's a part of this great battle we're in. Um, it's, It's breaking those habits that we've developed over the years that have always pulled us away from God. And it's to get out of those routines and those habits. And he talks about God maketh trial of our faith. Which trial is more precious than gold, as in Abraham? Or when he trieth our patience, as in Job, for while we live in this world. And so it's setting up the the temptation, the trials, whatever you want to call it, is to strengthen our faith. That, uh, you know, it's a receiver runs this great route and catches his touchdown. He wants to do that again. That feeling of, of, of beating the defense, beating Satan as a Christian. Uh, and you want to develop, develop that feeling where that really felt pretty good. Let, let me do it again. So you start to create those habits, uh, which these trials simply strengthens your faith when you pass them. Yeah, as we um, get stronger in different avenues and different adventures, we're having to get stronger on two fronts, this inner front and the outer front. That inner part of us, the, the flesh, our, it's, we're living from our sarks, our mortality and flesh. We have to be able to beat the devil in those things. And so he, Andrews will tell us that This happens as God gives us the ability to know true pleasure, um, as well as to know what you really should fear. Um, That's even true life and true death. Yeah, like you know, so to be able to get stronger in the inner temptations, the Lord allows us to know the true pleasures and to know what's truly to be feared. And then when it comes to the outer temptation, it's God grants us confidence in Himself to deliver us, like that he can actually get us out of these things, and then to see him that he has overcome, so too he can deliver us and make us to overcome. I mean, this is Jesus' words about, look, I've overcome the world. You can do it inside of your life too. Yeah, it, uh, it's just each one of us uh, determining what's going to have dominion over us, whether it's going to be the devilish works or if it's going to be the goodness of God, because something's going to have dominion over you. And so uh, with the Lord's Prayer, he's given us the right tools to make sure that it's God that has dominion over us. Yeah, and I like the when it comes to the dominion Satan tries to have over us, he reminds us that he has Satan on a chain. Yeah. <laughs> he lim- yeah. has a limited influence here. Like um, He's been judged, and we stay within that parable of the strong man who breaks in and really chains up and binds the original strong man and loots his house. And it's our savior. And as we've gotten into this environment of understanding what temptation and trials are and how our lives kind of fit into the mix of it, he he turns in the kind of this last half of this first sermon we're looking at into the nature of actually being led. And there's several things here that kind of stick out with Again, Christian life is something you live. You're becoming new. And he wants us to know that God knows and will protect our weaknesses. He's got a statement here. I think it's so true. If there be neither covetousness in us, we're told over and over not to covet, nor the lust of the flesh, the devil shall not be able to prevail against us. But we shall stand unconquered, both of worldly lust. And lust of the flesh as well. You know, cleaning ourselves spiritually, is cleaning ourselves the flesh, getting rid of all the bad habits that we have. Uh, if we do those two, if we're clean spiritually and fleshly, then nothing's going to prevail against us. We'll be able to conquer and, and, and to walk with Christ in our lives. Well, and I think that's what kind of that catalyst that gives us why we would pray this petition to begin with. We're starting to see God as this being that has such an investment in our own lives and well-being. One of the things, I guess, I don't even know what page this one's on, but when it comes to touching the leading into temptation, um, we desire not to be led, which has two expositions. First one, that God who knows our weakness will not give leave to the devil 
to tempt us at all by any of those means. Mm-hmm. So we always say, like, you know, God always leaves a door or a way out of a temptation. Right. Like, there's, there's a degree in the incarnation that when he took on flesh and became weak like us and, and really got to experience the fullness of human experience and to learn faithfulness through suffering, he discovers where our weaknesses are. And so therefore, he's going to protect us as we, as we are being led into living a new kind of life. He's going to prevent the devil from having any undue access to those soft spots in our armor. Mm-hmm. I guess, and it's and he's got you know, the means that we may keep that from us. Emphasizes that is prayer that, that we know those weak spots, those um, those opening gaps for we, the devil to enter. We have those inner weak spots, and we've also got outer weak spots, and it's also as. So as God begins to lead us in this new kind of life, and as we become, as we'd say, put on the full armor of God, he's got his hand over our weakest spiritual spots. But we're also praying that he'd keep his hand um, over any vulnerabilities in our lives from spiritual forces that are. You've already brought up Job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we expect God to take the lead, this was the second point of God's leading is, we're also talking him to lead us not into any lying spirits. Um, right. And if you and there are, there are a bunch of them out there. Well, there's a bunch of them, but there's also there's a because he quotes this from scripture. This is from First Kings twenty two nineteen to twenty three. That lying spirit that was used to really turn Israel made made the king of Israel take a specific path towards destruction. I mean, this is so we're we're praying to not have any of those Job moments. So when the Satan comes in, and just gets kind of a little up and on Job. We're praying don't don't let us fall on his radar right. for for testing and trying. Yeah, the uh, you know we're asking for his protection to keep us from going astray. I guess a simple way of saying that you know keep us within your loving arms. Uh, don't let us fall out of your, your loving arms, your grace, and to the, the world arms. Well, yeah, and everyone's going, as you said, everyone's going to serve someone. Right. Um, like there's, you can't be, I am a rock, I am an island. <laughs> like, you know, we can't be this autonomous power in and of ourselves. Right. So part of the way God gives us what we want as sinners, originally rebelling against his, his will and his kingdom, we did not want him to be the ruler. So therefore, he, ha- he has made a way for other spiritual powers to have rule over us. Like This is like what you see in Deuteronomy 32 with the nations. It's what you see in Romans 1 with all the lifestyles of sin. God mm-hmm. says, you don't want me? Fine, have at it. Like, and we're given over to other spiritual powers. We're praying to be led away and out of any of those other spiritual powers that are out there. We're breaking allegiance with these parts. But he knows full well that if we walk with him, we will overcome all of those. Well, he'll overcome it. Yeah, he's yeah. the he's our bulwark. That's right. For um, yeah, he, and, he's our rock. <laughs> <laughs> and then he concludes this this section of understanding how we're led. We're being led with God protecting us from our own fleshly weaknesses. He's being led, protecting us from the old spiritual powers that we gave our lives to, the old powers and principalities Paul says we used to serve. He's also, we have to understand that in the midst of being led and protected, we're still going to find ourselves going through temptations. We're going to be going into the wilderness. As the old saints of old would say, we're going to go through a dark night of the soul. And we have to understand, if God allows us to be led into the wilderness for tempting, then we can count on him to lead us yes. out the other side. Yeah. The, the trick is is not losing him in the midst of the dark. Right. Um, you just got to stay close. Because if you lose him, you stay in the dark. You stay in the dark. <laughs> and, and, so, and then he rounds this, this sermon off with our duties. Because um, it's it's Andrews. He's always going to bring in our duty to whatever we've just talked. We must not set ourselves up for temptation, which means 
we have to remove any of the stumbling blocks. You know, if you're if you're struggling with porn, um, you can't have a computer or your phone in your bedroom. Sorry, you can pray all day long, but you're not going to be strong enough to not open and turn it on. Andrew is saying the same thing. And then we have a duty to restrain our eyes and mouths from evil. If you have a problem with anger, you, you got to get really good at biting your tongue. Don't set yourself up for it. Don't say anything. Yes. <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, it, uh, and I'm just having a conversation on the phone right before we started. Uh, we have someone who goes to our church who does a lot of outreach programs with people with addictions to all kinds of things, from drugs to alcohol and everything else. And uh, the one thing he says, and I actually saw it when I was reading through uh, Andrews, is we're trying to get rid of that desire. Because, you know, if, if, you, if you're offered drugs for 10 years and you slip and you go back on it, that's because that desire is still in you. And it's the same thing with sin. Uh, we try to get rid of the desire, whether it's porn or whatever. Uh, we try to overcome that. Uh, so that we don't fall into it again. So it's it's the desire of what's in your heart. Um, I don't know how you'd actually describe it. It's, it's well, I think the, your, your being wanting to do what you know you shouldn't. The flesh warring against the spirit. Well, the old rabbis, when studying Cain and Abel, right. um, would would describe when they talk about desires. They talk about the teshuka, um, which is man is essentially a bucket. And you've got four, four desires in life that are out there, one of which is God's desire for humanity because this type of desire is wanting to pour into your life. Um, the other side of this is sin's desire for Cain, and he's wanting to pour into Cain's life. And God has a little sit-down with Cain just saying, look, Sin's at the door, and its desire is for you. So like, so if you refuse to allow my desire for you to fill up your bucket, your gonna be it's going to be filled up by this other desire. Right. Like this is, and so it's going to, it's not about that inner desire, it's about this inner vacancy that if, so what? You get porn and wrath and everything else out. Good, you emptied the bucket, great. What are you going to fill it? But if you don't fill it back up with God's desire for humanity, well, eventually, sin's desire is going to fill it back up. Yeah. And so it, it'll be something else. Anyway, the old rabbis. And so we, ha- so we have duty to this petition of not setting ourselves up for other temptations, which would involve keeping our bucket full with God's teshuva for us. Um, yeah. Coming for us. There you go. <laughs> Cain and Abel, it's everywhere. <laughs> So from that, we're like, lead us not into temptation. Every time we pray this, and he sa- he also says this is a perfect place to pray specifically for key area. So if you're if you're a husband and you got you got wandering eyes, it's a perfect time every time you pray this prayer to say, Lord, lead me in not into temptation. Give me the grace to like look other look away. Right. So he he rounds that out. And so this is how we learn not to commit evil ourselves. We. We learn how God is there to lead us out and through. We don't have to get lost and take care of ourselves and to take it into our own hands. We can turn to Him in such a way because Christ is also revealing to us that our God, our Father and King, is there to deliver us from evil, which is the second or final petition of the prayer that we turn to look at now in Sermon 2. And so we learn to pray in this new life that we suffer no evil, that nothing will come against us, um, that will knock us off track, should we say. And he speaks that there's plenty of evil without us adding to it, you know, the evil of the day. <laughs> yeah, the, It's there. It's there. And, it, and this is not only praying against the demons and the devils hiding in the shadows. This is, he, he'll show us, we're really just asking God to deliver us from all things laborious and troublesome, things that honestly knock us off track. Well, we're no longer talking about temptation. We're moving into evil. And so the first thing he does is say there's actually two different things. Temptation and evil in this prayer are two different avenues that we need to understand. We're not just saying the same thing two different ways. And so he's trying to say if the devil can't get us by temptation, 
Category one, he is going to break us by torment. Category two. So temptations, trials, they didn't make you off track. Well, let's um, help you lose your job. Let's have someone close to you commit suicide. Like we're talking about things that truly are evil that come against us that don't necessarily feel spiritual, but they have a way of wrecking us. And it's not always negative. I mean, you could win the lottery, too, and have just as much devastating effect. Even more. <laughs> you know, it's talking about to, to take from us those things that are evil. Now, a lot of evil comes about just through life. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we've all been through periods like that. And uh, uh, so we're asking him uh, to deliver us from that from that evil of, of our daily lives, actually. Yeah, the everyday life, the the plenty and poverty that would cause us to forget or curse God. Like just those little things that we're we're seeking to be brought from. And we've had a we've had a break from some of the church fathers in the sermons, but he comes back on this one quoting Christostom, Augustine, and Cyprian, trying to show us that this is bigger than just the devil. But we're actually just talking about, well, Augustine, of course, being Augustine, us, because we're evil. Um, but then Cyprian, just all matters of calamity and trouble. Yeah, and uh, Psalms talk about the water floods drowning us, that it's just, it keeps coming and, and can, can overwhelm us. We're asking for protection from that evil. Yeah, pr- protection from both, Andrews would say, loss of goods which would prevent us from our service from God, and then also from plenty of goods, which would cause us to forget our service for, to God. Forget God. <laughs> like, you know, if you, if you don't have a, a good job that keeps a roof over your head, it's kind of hard to keep God number one. You, you start kind of getting backed into the way of Cain, who's just working and hoarding for himself. Um, but at the same time, if you get the good job, and you got multiple roofs over your head, and then you're going to forget God too. And so Andrews is just saying, look, this is what Jesus is revealing for us. This is, in this prayer is, is a way to simply keep the main thing the main thing, which is our service to God and service to our neighbor. And to be able to do that is we need God to deliver us from things that would either prevent us from serving him or forgetting or causing us to forget serving him. Mm-hmm. This is just part of the new life of Christian. You don't wait to go to heaven to start doing the Christian thing. You're not a Christian, so you're going to avoid all pains and all evils and everything. Uh, you're a Christian to help you to overcome those pains and that evil that, that are part of the, our well, daily lives. That's what, yeah. I remember we were reading a children's Bible with the kids the other night, and it got down to the rich young ruler, and he's coming up to Jesus, and, you know, what must it take to have everlasting life in this children's Bible had that the rich man was asking Jesus, what must I do to live forever? And I, t- and I had to stop. I was like, we're not talking about a duration of time here. <laughs> like, we're talking about having so much life pouring into you that if mom and dad drop dead at this moment, you guys are going to be scared, you're going to be afraid, and you're, and, but you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know Jesus, and he's going to be pumping in life into you when all of your circumstances are trying to suck it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's what he offers, is something in the in the midst of all of this, we're not going to have to tap out. And that same thought process, I often use uh, hospitals and people who are very sick and all, and especially ones that are uh, members of the church and all, uh, my my comment is, you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know, regardless of how this goes, whether you go to be with your Lord, you're going to be just fine. And if you recover and come back to the church, you're going to be just fine. And so that's the, the hope that we have for the future, that it's going to be okay. And so this uh, uh, taking away the evil from us helps us to have that feeling of everything is going to be okay. Yeah, and, and we can ask God to take it away completely. Yeah. I mean, that's perfectly legitimate in this petition to say, God, please take it all away completely. But we have to understand that 
His way of taking it away may not be the way that you right. think. <laughs> In the midst of it, our circumstances might not change at all. We'll just find that the burden of it just gets a little bit lighter. I mean, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for my burden is light. He, we strap on that yoke and start living the life he reveals to us. And all of a sudden, the stuff that made us hate life no longer affects us the same way. We can actually do this. Yeah. Uh, and he'll also, at times, even if the burden doesn't get any lighter, I mean, he can also grant us the patience and strength just to endure it. And next thing you know, our endurance becomes a testimony to his glory for everybody else watching us. It, uh, and he's got a part in here that uh, Christ hath foretold in the world, you shall have trouble. And then he continues, your reward is great in heaven. And then he ends it with, I have set before thee an open door, because thou hast a little strength. And uh, so we said, when we need uh, his blessings, his grace to overcome the world, because we're not going to do it by ourselves. It's only through him. Now, and, and sometimes the way we overcome the, the cross that's crucifying us is a lot like our Savior who is able to see the countless generations that would be made sons of God through it. Um, he tells us in this petition of delivering us from evil, we can easily, just as easily pray. Like if we see that it's not going away, the burden's not getting any easier, we seem to have some patience and some strength, but it's still crushing us. Um, we can pray to have the revelation to see the good that's going to come through this um, because it's guaranteed for those who have Follow the life of Christ, that good is going to come again, come from whatever evil comes against us. Yeah, and, and he just puts it, uh, gives us patience to endure our afflictions. Having that, knowing that, uh, you know, we are going to prevail through this, however he wants us to prevail. Well, it's all, I think it's part of that, the hope of glory that Christians have, that certainty of it being part of our glorification. Like, just give us a glimpse of how this is going to work out, because we know, I mean, as you read through Hebrews, all that Jesus, the Son of Man, suffers and does through suffering, we serve a God who does not waste our pain. He's not there just pushing a button because we're yeah. sinners. Watching is a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah our you know, it's not watch us suffering. <laughs> this is this is going to ultimately work out, and we can we can trust God to deliver us where the, where the sermon ends, and He starts kind of just rolling with it to say, "Look, Christian confidence for God to deliver us is multifaceted, and that just remember who you are to God in Christ. We are His servants." Therefore, he's going to free us from being servants of Satan. We are his children, so he's going to deliver us so that we don't become known as children of the devil like the Pharisees. We are his workmanship. We are his image. We've been bought by the blood of the Son. We are vessels that bear his name. He's not going to abandon us to give himself a bad name. We are a part of the body of Jesus, the head who's in heaven. He's not going to abandon the Son. And then on top of that, like if, if that doesn't give you enough confidence that he is invested in your life for the good, he uses the old logic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, you know. <laughs> and so he's just like, we have a mutual enemy here. He doesn't like the devil. We don't like the devil. So, and that's that kind of his last point. It made me chuckle a little bit. Um, <laughs> sort of relates. And then for the, he concludes it again with duty. And we have a duty to pray for the others of, quote, us to be delivered because we will all need deliverance until the last enemy, death, is destroyed. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he quotes, uh, I've made my reckoning and now find that the afflictions of this life are not worthy or comparable to the glory that you were just speaking about. And so uh, something better awaits us. Something better awaits us, and it's all God doing the work for us. And that's why the, the next petition and sermon we move into is this doxology of, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I mean, because the fact is, God does lead us out of temptation. He does deliver us out of evil. 
And so truly, as we become more and more aware of his actions in our life, we have to end with this orderly conclusion of the prayer. Thine's the kingdom, power and glory. Like there's no way I would have been able to manage that. And so Jesus, again, offers us this prayer to show uh, God's really going to step in. He's really going to provide your daily bread. He's really going to provide your forgiveness of sins. He really is going to step in and deliver you from the clutches of evil. And it's done for the glory of his name. And we're to have that confidence that he is able to to do that uh, and to do his good will. And uh, so once again, the, the confidence of our faith, the strength of our faith, and that is all increased as we go through these temptations and everything else we've just talked about. I mean, the, the battle has been won and will be won and will be won forever. Like, we can go ahead and sing the praise now because we know victory comes in the morning. He is not only willing as a father, but able as a mighty, glorious, powerful prince. Yeah. He is our Lord, our King. Yeah, he's reminding us, we end with praise to God for who he is, for what he's doing, and what he will always do. And because it is not, well, as the prayer book would say, it's not meet and right for a disciple just to come in with a list of requests and then storm out with no thank you. We do not just make a list of petitions and then abruptly end our prayers. No, no, no. You're, you're going to be living a scattered life if you're that way. You need to know where the where the praise is to be attributed. And he talks about the Samaritan, uh, the only one that turned returned to give glory to God. Yeah. The other ones. And and this is, in, the, in Jesus giving us this prayer, it is, you have passages in the scripture, just especially as at St. John's Gospel. If you, you believe it is yours, it'll be given. Like having that active faith. And like part of that first step of being able to believe as though it's already been given is you're already praising God for it being given. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to come because thine's the kingdom, the power and the glory. No kingdom can stand against you. No power has any sway against you. And no one is more glorious than you. Like, this is it. This is as good as done. And he's got here, power and glory is thine and not ours. <laughs> yeah. And it says, yeah, he goes on to this, like the power of God. So, this is not just a singing a little happy song at the end of, the, of this petition. He's, he's saying we are anchoring all of these petitions in God's triune power. The Father's power as King of kings, the Son's power as conqueror of death, and the Spirit's power as the one who inscribes on human hearts as will. Who's got more power than that? No one. The king. <laughs> so so as, we, as we, thine is the king, the power of the glory is that affirmation of my petitions are as good as done. And so it's it's the way that we, Christians are being taught to finish. And it's also just, it's it's a balance. He seems like he's bending over backwards just to show the balance of ending in praise. Because no one likes a spoiled brat kid who's always, what'd you get me? What'd you get me? Did you give me this? Did you give me that? Without ever giving. Yeah, and he sort of puts it, and uh, I'm big on this. So for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, whereby we perceive... That humility is the means to obtain at God's hand our suits. So it's through acknowledging our frailty, our weaknesses, and acknowledging his love, his strength, his kingship, that he's gonna we're gonna be able to come out of this okay. And, uh, and it's just acknowledging that, but you can't acknowledge it if uh, you don't give him the power and the glory. So yeah, if we. If we do not humble ourselves by the petitions of this prayer, should not actually expect any grace to be given. Right. Like, I mean, this is the flip side of all of these petitions is essentially we just, we confess. We are weak, wanting, needing, and unable to do anything that actually pleases God. That's kind of the flip side of all of these petitions. You're having to recognize and bring before God the real you. And that terrifies us. We don't want to know the real us. The unworthiness. To be, even be asking for these things, I mean, we and we have to lay that before him. We think we're princes, but we're really paupers. Um, <laughs> and so, because as soon, the closer we get to knowing who we truly are, the closer we get to knowing who true, who truly God is. The fact that He does love us as we are. And why would He not? He made you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
you know, and, and he and he points out here the, the saying that uh, he will be our God and we as people. And uh, so there's, uh, it's like loving God and loving neighbor, there's two parts. Or is God going to love us and make us his people if we're willing to be his people? And the thing is, is God loves you. And we say that. But like the little asterisk next to that is God loves the real you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're, if we were in the Chronicles of Narnia where um, the old kid, I forget his name, he becomes a dragon and Aslan has to come and cut off all the scales of the dragon so he can become a boy again. God does not love the dragons that we became. He loves the true us who's still wrapped up under all of this stuff. And the closer that we can grow in grace and knowledge of who he is, we're also learning who we truly are, which then gets us off our high horses and we can start loving our neighbor. And he's got here, uh, therefore suffer not thine own image to be defaced in us, but repair it. That, uh, that, that's what we've, ta- we've taken is his goodness, his image, and we've defaced it. And, uh, you know, we pray that he will repair that now to bring us back um, to what he created us to be. And again, the part of the prayer that we're probably already clocked out on most of the time, the, that is the kingdom of the power and the glory. glory. This is anchoring all of what's been said into God's present reality of who he is. And he'll, he'll loop back and it's just by ending the prayer this way, I mean, we're learning to seek God's glory and pleasure more than our own comfort and wants. And so we, we end with such praise. You know, we everybody says they want to go to heaven. And I think this is the angels made a comeback in this sermon with one of the things. And he would say is, like those who are in the process of glorification, you know, being made like God, ought to learn how to glorify God like the fully glorified angels. Like, you know, we're, we understand that our present condition is not as it ought or as we wish it was. Um, and, and it's therefore we're going to need to grow and be transformed, to be glorified. And the main way to become that kind of being is to start going in that direction. And the ultimate end result, as we covered, well, we covered in the sermons that we discussed with Bishop Chad, is it's that glorification of becoming like the angels. Mm-hmm. And so by ending in praise, we are, we're putting our trajectory in the right place. We're, um, we're, we're obtaining the target. We're, <laughs> we're lifting we're, our eyes above the muck and mire of what we're stuck in. Right. And getting our eyes fixed right for where we're headed. And he'll, he goes through the lessons we've learned from this prayer. And he's really starting to kind of recap mostly of everything we've covered. God's He'll go into God's kingdom. Well, first he goes, the prayer teaches us to live from our true selves, as we said. But again, understanding that to the Father, we are his workmanship for his glory. To the Son, we are his purchased kingdom. And to the Spirit, we are his vessels to be filled with power. Well, that pretty well... So we're ending our prayer, and again, with when we confess that we are broken and needy, we're putting ourselves for, in the position to receive his glory. When we confess that we are lost and enslaved, we're giving him a place to free us and make us a part of his kingdom. When we confess that we are empty and straying into temptation, we're confessing that our bucket's empty and needs to be filled with the Spirit's power. And this is just so much of, again... Why would we want to hand out gospel tracts instead of just hand out people what's being given to them in this short Lord's Prayer? And again, he'll, he'll take this service to duties, but he also talks about, you know, we, we've said that God is a kingdom of both power and glory. And in this are duties, both the duties of the king as well as duties of the servants. And so the first thing he talks about is the duty of God as our king is to protect his subjects from injury and wrong and to provide for their well-being and fruitfulness so we can trust him. But on the flip side of that is we have our duties as his subjects, and so we have to yield service to the king. We have to respect and honor his office bearers, his priests, deacons, bishops, all that stuff. His church. His church. We have to be faithful stewards of the power and strength the king gives to us. You know, it's all all my friends that we've laughed at each other with, you know, 
they go come tell me, oh, we're, we're going to change churches because we're not being fed. I'm like, no, you are being fed. The problem is you become constipated and you can't hear anything more from him. You're stopped up. It's not flowing. Um, so you've, we've been squandering a lot of the power and the strength the Lord's been pouring into our lives. And then we, the other duty is that we have to acknowledge that all glory and credit is owed to the king. All of our labors are for his glory. And so that's essentially where this thing wraps up. And he has a few more reflections on the king and the kingdom. Like, while God's kingdom is similar to earthly kingdoms in regard to power and glory, his is the only one that lasts forever and ever. And so his kingdom is eternal. Yeah, and he, uh, he sort of wraps it up. Uh, so we must not spend our strength and thoughts of vanity, but employ it to his use and to the setting forth of his glory to whom only all power belongeth. And uh, uh, so instead of chasing uh, thoughts of vanity, to me that's thoughts of the world, uh, we're to set our sights a little bit higher than what the world has to offer. And setting our sights to vanity also, it gets uncomfortable, but today's politics are vanity. I mean, we can lose our lives to fighting left and fighting right, and let's just face it, 50 more years, I'm going to be talking to my boys about it. And, they, and they're like, what? what you? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, and it's, it's got, it sort of ends after that. It says, Christ teaches us to ascribe all glory to God. It, keeps, it just keeps the main thing the main thing. The main thing, exactly. Um, and so with all of that, the only right thing to say is amen. And hence there's a sermon on amen. Oh, um, <laughs> and yeah, so what's up? We say amen to everything. Um, amen, 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 brother. Amen. He, he helps us understand what amen is. And essentially within Christianity, within, well, Judo-Christian faith, Amen is always a seal. It's either a wake up and pay attention or a seal. And St. Jerome says it's a seal of faith. As soon as we attach an amen to the end of our prayers, we're showing our desire, the desire of our will for what we have asked and petitioned for. Like, this is really what we this want. This is the seal of our love he's got here. Now, that's Cyprian. I think Cyprian's the one that talks about being a seal of love. Okay. Yeah, and he... Which is showing the desire, not of our will, but this is of our heart, in both wanting the lessons of this prayer to happen in our lives and the petitions to be obtained. Our heart truly has been given over to God, and so the fullness of what we've discovered in Him being Father, Him being King, Him being the holder of all power and glory, we just say, yes, we, we want that. We hunger and thirst for that. Yeah, and He goes through, you know... The word amen is, is uh, in Hebrew, it's used by evangelists, it's uh, used every language and tongue, they all use the word amen. Yeah, that was kind of a beautiful point that he made, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's legitimate or not, but I like it. Because uh, when I reflect about it, I think it probably is, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I, but I never thought about that either. Because um, the first thing he goes, it's commanded in the Old Testament. First Chronicles sixteen thirty six, Psalm one hundred six forty eight. It's commanded in the New Testament, First Corinthians fourteen sixteen. But really, the point is, is he wants Jew and Greek, Gentile, all to people using one language here by having the Amen both in Hebrew and Greek. In Latin and English, and all of us it's just transliterate it. Yeah, it's being confirmed. What it's main it's maintaining one mystical body of Christ, where people of all ages, races, and languages can share in the same seal of faith and of heart. And and after he talks about us being kind of made one with the original Jewish faith, he actually goes through to show us that in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is really just bringing up all of the peoples up to speed. What the Jews have always known and practiced and prayed for, Jesus in his petition is just che- teaching the Gentiles how to do it. Uh, that's an interesting story. I think I've told the story when uh, part of my family is Jewish, and a uh, 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 member of my family uh, had a death on her side. And uh, we'd go to the synagogue and do prayers every week or something. 
she asked me, she says, well, what do you say at the end of it? And I said, well, just in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> I mean, and so if you, if you pull up this, this sermon by his, Lucky 13 of the Lord's Prayer, he'll go through and say it's, it's Psalm 57 that shows us hallowing God's name. It's Psalm 106.5 that taught God's people to seek His kingdom's coming. It's Psalm 143.10, a hymn version of it, nonetheless, taught them to seek God's will to be done. And he goes through each one, everything from daily bread, Psalm 145, forgiveness of sin, Psalm 65, forgiving others. Um, You know, if we want God to forgive us our sins, we better not to have been doing evil to someone who didn't deserve it, which was Psalm 7. Psalm 119 and 141 taught them to pray for God to lead them towards righteousness. Psalm 25, 22 taught them to pray for God to deliver them from evil. Um, So essentially what Andrews is trying to show you is the Jews have always known this, and now that the Non-Jews have been made part of the family. Listen up. The Lord's Prayer (laughs) is saying, welcome to the family. This is how we live in this family. If you want to live under my roof, you're going to live by my rules, my reality. Here you go. He's just wonderful way he writes. God the Father is true, but Christ is said to be the truth. And the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Truth. (laughs) So we're, well, yeah. we're going to lay it all out there, yeah. all in truth. and Well, that's why you say amen to the Lord, God, Father, right. Son, Holy Ghost. Like, uses of the word amen before and after statements, he, he'll cover that. But then he just goes, the reason we say amen is because we know God's true and we know that God's faithful. This is, that's why you put this seal. This is why you would have the guts to put an amen at the end of this. Is because you know it is truth. he's faithful and true. Faithful and just. Forgive us of our sin. And so we are sealing ourselves to him. And after concluding this sermon, he he rolls it off to say, So how are is a person able to say the Amen rightly? You know, it's, this sort of made me think of things going on currently. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want your prayer to be advantageous, to be heard, received, and beneficial to you, it must be prayed from the heart with an earnest desire. Number one, you got to really want it. Two, it must be prayed in spirit and in truth. And I liked it. So what he means here is, and he'll spell it out. When he says spirit, he means sincerity and, and with your feeling, but then also truth with your intelligence and understanding. Scott, you have to be both. You can't do it just by feeling. You can't do it just by logic. He wants the whole you, the real you, to pray it. Then, as we've kind of mentioned this before, it must be prayed with an intention to see it become a reality. And there was a quote I, was, I meant to look up by Augustine, which is essentially, you know, give us the grace... Um, to actually do what we've asked for, essentially. You know, we, we ask we ask for all of these blessings in our lives, but then we don't actually expect to have to put any work into it. And Andrew says, if you want to really say amen, you're going to do it by having the intention of seeing it become a reality. And he also speaks about uh, the, the danger of saying amen to a, a false prophecy as well. And he brings up Jeremiah, uh, the prophecy of Hananiah. Uh, well, we must be careful that it be true what we pray for. And that's what our faith teaches us, that it is in truth uh, that, it's, that it is given. We also, we pray with confidence in God to answer our petitions. And here he has a little caveat of limitations to the way God answers petitions. <laughs> he lets you know that God will answer only if it is expedient or the right timing for us. And we have to understand that he knows what's best, and it might not be the right time. I think all of us can thank God for many of our unanswered prayers from this point in our life. Yeah, when you're looking back. Yeah. The, the review mirror. All those girlfriends I prayed for, good Lord. <laughs> the Lord was merciful. <laughs> yeah. 
And on top of that, God will give us the better reality we are not aware of when we were praying. That, that is so true in so much of our faith that uh, we, we're not God, therefore we cannot see as God sees. And when we see with our little binders on that we put on us, uh, he may be showing us a really big picture by not doing what we think we what? won't. Well, done. like, and I, and I thought over like the limitations of the Lord's Prayer of just over our lives over the last couple of years of praying for God for ministry opportunities and like you just getting dead in after dead in, especially like while we were in South Atlanta, of like try to get a Bible study going, try to reach out to a couple, try to reach out and just mm-hmm. door slams, door slams, door slams. Like, good Lord, are you not going to answer my prayer? And then we've landed here. And I've got strangers coming up to my door asking about doing a Bible study. For the neighborhood. <laughs> I got, we have more people like just, you know, and it's just, it's always the Lord's timing. He has a better, if there's a better reality to be given, he's not going to answer your prayers now. To something lesser. To something lesser. He knows you push you push forward there. Um, and Andrew tries to anchor this into it. And on top of and beyond that, he tells us to, we must pray indivisibly. I love this part. I don't know if you caught this towards the end. To mean these prayers, the Lord's Prayer must be prayed indivisibly and that we desire each petition to be answered. We can't expect God to pick give one us... one over the other. <laughs> we can't pray for daily bread. It's not a menu that you no. pick one to. Or to. No, no. If you have no intention of doing God's will and commandments, don't expect daily bread. If you're not going to flee temptation, don't expect any deliverance. If you're, if you're not going to forgive that coworker, don't expect God to find any forgiveness of sin for you. Like he just it, when the Lord gives us this petition, this way of life of living out before God, it's a whole package. It's the totality of what it takes. Um, forgiveness of sins is not a la carte. It's part of the whole bundle. It, uh, you know, it's like we spoke when we first started this discussion on the Lord's Prayer. You know, when, when the, uh, the apostles asked him to teach us how to, you know, what to pray, these are just not random words. I mean, this is pulling together all of Scripture. He's giving you the whole story and our responsibility uh, to God and God's promises to us. And uh, so it is a totality of our it's faith. A- we, we are, you're either all in or all out. Right. There's not, there's no lukewarm stuff going on. Right. And with the final part of this prayer, and this is, this is a hard one, especially as we come through a lot of the prosperity-esque gospels. The Lord's Prayer, to be prayed earnestly and truly, advantageously, must be prayed according to the purpose for which Jesus gave the prayer, which is where that last petition lands, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The purpose of of God answering these prayers will be to his glory. And so if you have no intention of giving him the glory, giving him his due, don't expect it. You mean the world has been teaching us improperly? It's not all about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, all about him. Yeah, and our and I loved it where he concludes, our hallelujah must be as loud as our hosanna. Right. Um, Praise the Lord must be just as loud as save us, Lord. I was like, that's a pretty good equation. This this brings us to the end of the Lord's Prayer, or should we say to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, because hopefully now we can take some of these revealed truths that Lancelot Andrews so, so well highlights for us, and then we can use that in our prayerful imaginations. And make it even more meaningful part of your life, and... When you say it uh, each Sunday in church or every day during the morning and evening prayer, you know, focus on one or two of those lines now that you've got more of a meaning to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, think about just exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so many times we say it without really thinking about what we're saying. And then when you slow down to look at the words, you realize how much we are squandering. Mm-hmm. Like if, if all of this truly has been, a made, been made available to us by Jesus Christ, which we have faith that it has been. Boy, we've been wasting our time yeah. on so much stuff that does not matter. Yeah, I mean, we've created an economy of vanity even within the church. Um, and so it's Jesus needs to come with his whips and cords all over again. 
So very true. So anyway, we hope you've enjoyed this. Yeah. And uh, uh, I know we've gotten a lot out of it just by doing it, by reading it and studying it. And uh, with that, the Lord be with you. I'm with thy spirit. Dear Lord, uh, we give thee thanks uh, for these these months to go over and uh, pray about your Lord's Prayer and to ponder it and put it in our hearts. And uh, we ask for thy grace that... uh, that those words do fill our hearts and that uh, you can bring us all closer to thee so that we may walk with thee truly in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen.